Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. In each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Our guest today is Carmela Castellano-Garcia, President and CEO of the California Primary Care Association. Her organization represents more than 1,300 community health centers across the state. These centers are on the front lines of the COVID response, and Carmela joins us to discuss what policymakers can do now to support community health at this critical time. Well, Carmela, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. Great. Well, could you tell us a little bit about the California Primary Care Association and what you focus on? Yes, the California Primary Care Association has been in Sacramento for 25 years now, and we represent 1,300 not-for-profit community health centers. Our health centers provide comprehensive quality health care services, particularly for low-income, uninsured Californians who might not otherwise have access to care. Uh, in fact, we serve one in three Medi-Cal recipients in the state of California. So community health centers are the uh, backbone of the Medi-Cal program in California and really the safety net for many of uh, California's low-income population. Great. So uh, telehealth is such an important issue in the age of COVID. I, I think it's something that actually a lot of people probably even hadn't heard of until a few months ago. And, and at most, it was being used sporadically throughout the state. But um, could you talk a little bit about an overview of what telehealth is, what it's capable of, and how that's changed over the last few months? Sure. Um, telehealth is providing a primary or mental behavioral health visit over the phone or virtually using a video platform such as Skype or Zoom. And it has really become uh, very important with uh, relation to COVID-19. Now, prior to COVID-19, health centers were using telehealth, but really on a limited basis, uh, mainly for specialists or, in fact, in times of natural disaster like the recent wildfires, it was very important that uh, telehealth and telephonic visits became critical. Um, but really, COVID-19 just brought to the forefront the tremendous need for and value of uh, telehealth. And that's because, as you know, with the uh, shutdowns and the shelter-in-place orders that went into place and you know, California was the first state to implement shelter-in-place orders. So our health centers were the first uh, impacted in this manner with the complete shutdown initially of our dental services, but ultimately um, the clinics uh, really only emergency and the very most necessary services were being provided. So in that context, it was absolutely critical that we have telehealth services, which really became the lifeline to access for our population. It became the lifeline because it was a way for our patients to be safe and still access care. Uh, it actually became a lifeline as a way for our vulnerable providers, uh, our elderly providers or those who have underlying conditions uh, that made them at risk for COVID. They were actually able to shelter in place at home and continue to provide critical health care services. And so there were just um, so many ways that telehealth became a, a very key modality for providing health care services. Um, so we're very grateful that we were able to move very quickly to telehealth. So what types of medical professionals are able to use telehealth um, successfully? And, and, and maybe what are the, the limits for, for where you really do need to get in for physical in-person visits? 
You know, we were able to do a, a whole range of healthcare during this COVID period of time, and it was everything from reaching out to our vulnerable patients because that that became a, a very significant focus. People who need to come in regularly to be seen are uh, really the people who are at risk for COVID, uh, diabetics and others that um, we had a concern about. So we were able to reach out and, and really uh, ensure uh, some screening and, and determine whether or not people really still needed to come in under these conditions. So that was a really critical element, I think, for serving our most vulnerable patients and being able to reach out to them, be in contact with them, and if need be, bring them in. Because one thing that you don't want to happen during these periods of time is for people to completely forego what ends up being essential necessary care. So I think through telehealth uh, and, and our physician's ability to reach out to the pace, our vulnerable patients, that was a, a very key piece. Another big, big success for telehealth during a period of COVID actually ended up being behavioral health services. And behavioral health is an area where we have pretty high no-show rates, and some clinics talking about 30% uh, no-show rates on a regular basis, for example. And it has just been tremendous, the number of health centers who are saying that their no-show rates have completely changed uh, in behavioral health due to the ability to provide telehealth visits. And there are health centers that are, are going to zero no-shows in the mental health arena uh, with telehealth visits. So there uh, we are seeing a very a huge success. And I think given the tremendous strains that our population is under, we know the need for mental health services would only go up in a time like this. The fact that telehealth is really facilitating that access for our population uh, is something that our providers uh, feel very good about. And I think it's just been really critical for um, the wellness in California. Yeah, I mean, that's such an obvious area where, where telehealth probably could have been used for quite a long time and, and glad to see it's moving to greater adoption. Um, what, what do you think needs to change, though, in California from a policy perspective to make telehealth even more broadly available? Because as much as we've had successes here, you've, you've been beating the drum about some areas that are underserved because of a few issues, and I'd love you to expand on that. Yes, well, as I mentioned, telehealth is providing a primary or mental health visit over the phone or virtually with a video platform, such as Skype or Zoom. And part of the reason that telehealth has only moved forward on a limited basis in our state is there have just been administrative, technical reimbursement payment barriers to just being able to effectively use telehealth. And so because of that, it, like I said, it's been used in more limited basis. It's been used largely for specialty care. It has not really advanced the way it could or should. Uh, what happened for us is it was actually through the fires, uh, the Napa fires that resulted in uh, our legislature realizing that this was a terrible barrier, particularly in the time of a uh, tragedy like that or natural disaster. So we were successful at passing legislation, and that was AB 1494 with Assemblymember Aguiar Curry. And this bill uh, was passed uh, at the time of the wildfires to allow health centers to bill for services provided by a clinic to a Medi-Cal beneficiary without a face-to-face -face contact um, or without having the physician's uh, physical presence on the premises um, during the time of a declaration of emergency. So it allowed for it for limited purposes because we learned during the wildfires um, that it was essential. So we had that bill in place, but again, it was limited because it was only for an emergency. And then COVID hit. 
So because of uh, Aguiar Curry's foresight and leadership on this issue, we had legislation in place, but what we needed in order to trigger um, the use of telehealth was the president's declaration of an emergency. So that was what was required was federal permission in order to implement AB 1494. And so CPCA worked very closely with the department to speed up the implementation. I mean, we were in daily conversations with then DHCS director Brad Gilbert and J.C. Cooper, the Medicaid director, who were very committed uh, to doing this. And in rapid fire pace, they had telehealth in place within weeks of the shutdown in the state of California. That is something we are very thankful for um, because they submitted their 11135 waiver to CMS and they uh, ultimately moved forward with allowing us to um, basically bill for telehealth visits starting on March 19th. That's really fast. Uh, and that would be prior to receiving federal approval. But I think uh, given their relationship with the feds and conversations they had had, uh, I feel that they were competent and they ultimately did secure that federal approval. But we are very grateful uh, for those efforts to ensure that the clinics could get that running start because our visits went from compared to the prior year when that first period with the shutdown in March, uh, health center visits dropped from anywhere from 50 to 75 percent. Wow. And community health centers are paid by the visit. So you, you lose half the visits, you lose half the revenue. So it was a very significant uh, financial hit to clinics. And what allowed them to come back to a more stable place is telehealth. And currently in the state for federally qualified health centers, 60 percent of our visits right now are telehealth visits. So it was higher, you know, uh, several weeks ago it was 80%, then it was down to 70%, now it's 60%, which means in-person visits are coming back, uh, which is a good thing, um, too, that things are opening up, but we need to continue to have the telehealth option available. So what do we need to do as a state to make that more widely available? You've written about this broadband access issue, and, and we've been talking about that recently on the podcast with some other guests. But can you explain how broadband access is holding back telehealth? Yes. I mean, when we talk to our health centers uh, who are just singing the praises of telehealth, when we ask what are the barriers, they say it is broadband. And for our um, patients who do not have broadband capacity, that that is a huge barrier. So that is what we are hearing um, is one of the most significant barriers. And the other would be uh, mainly with elderly patients, but not solely, just some challenge with adapting to the technology, um, even the phone, or certainly if it's a video conference, um, that definitely there have been challenges with uh, having our patient population be able to deal with the level uh, of technological, um, just what you have to do with the technology. That has been a challenge for some of our patients too. And those are the main challenges that we hear about. So yeah, could you tell me about the specific policy changes that you're seeing in Sacramento that would make telehealth more widely available? Mm -hmm. Well, one thing our members are saying and our patients are saying is that we need telehealth from here on out. That telehealth 
must be here to stay. And our community health centers are saying it because they believe it is really opening up access to the patient population and it's been a very effective way um, to serve them. And the patients are saying it at, for the convenience um, of removing, I mean, they have so many barriers to accessing healthcare, uh, particularly when they don't have transportation, for example. Um, and so telehealth is, has helped to remove and break down barriers. Uh, and our patients like it. So for those reasons, uh, we're hearing it from all levels, that this has truly been a success and something we would like to continue, and outside of the context of a declared emergency. And so we are working this summer to address not only uh, telehealth in the specific sense of that we've been speaking to it, but really look at the telehealth needs of the deliver system, delivery system on a larger scale. And we believe that the budget process, which is expected for July and August, uh, July and August budget conversation, we believe that that is the best place for this conversation. So as I've already said, for our patients, for our communities, we must keep the current telehealth flexibilities, including the allowance for PPS payment for telephonic care. PPS payment is the per-visit payment that community health centers receive for the Medicaid program. And that has been very key to the state's policy in this arena. They are paying us at our PPS rate for our telephonic uh, visits. And so the policy that we need to see is to allow us to continue this flexibility, be paid for it with our PPS payment uh, and beyond a declared emergency. So the way we are approaching that, and just this Monday, uh, the CPCA staff convened over two dozen partners in Sacramento to kick off a summer virtual care collaborative uh, to address really looking at all the virtual needs of the safety net. So we are going to be working with a collaborative of organizations and entities that share our interest in expanding and improving access to telehealth services. And this group, um, we'll be looking at a number of topics, including, for example, our top priority, which is coverage of telehealth services, so maintaining the current coverage for telehealth and these flexibilities for Medi-Cal beneficiaries. That's our top priority, and that is you know, shared by many that that should continue. Um, and then there's telehealth payment parity, uh, looking at maintaining current payment, uh, payment parity requirements for telehealth services. Coverage of behavioral health services, so we're looking at legislation or budget language that would require health plans to cover behavioral health, telehealth services, and ensuring that plans don't restrict telehealth services. We're also looking at eliminating restrictions uh, regarding telehealth platforms and vendors, um, so that health plans cannot be requiring providers to use a specific telehealth provider or platforms. We need that flexibility. Um, there's a need for service location flexibility, so we got to ensure that patients are covered when the provider can effectively deliver services via telehealth, and that's regardless of the location. We want to look at the concept of a telehealth care coordinator, so creating a connected care coordinator position uh, within the California Health and Human Services Administration so that the state would elevate this issue by having it uh, staffed in that manner. So we're promoting that. Uh, we're also looking for telehealth technical assistance and training, um, and that more of that is needed, and certainly our association is doing a, a lot of that. Then there's this concept of broadband funding, so advocating for the need for funding for broadband and mobile device access to bridge the digital divide. Consumer education, we'd like to see a public web website for information uh, for consumers on what telehealth is and how it can be accessed through providers and health plans. And then finally, a prevention of abuse. So we need to create guardrails or 
guarantee or limit fraudulent billing for telehealth services, so certainly uh, looking at those issues. So these are the kinds of issues that have come out from working with a broader group of individuals uh, and really trying to look at some omnibus telehealth uh, solutions uh, through the budget process. We have, through the legislative process, seen tremendous interest in this issue. We have a tremendous amount of support in the legislature for continuing telehealth services. And folks who really want to work with us and partner with us on this, um, they've in fact encouraged us to come forward with a package, which is what we are doing. So we want to do our part to make sure that it happens. And that's why we're expanding the coalition, working with a broader group, and looking at addressing needs beyond just telehealth in community health centers. Well, well that's a super common sense list of things. I mean, I, it'd be hard for me to imagine how anyone could argue against the things you just mentioned. It's such a critical issue at a critical time. So I, I'm curious about the politics. Is anybody resisting the things that you're talking about? Are health insurance companies opposed to it? Or are there, you know, maybe medical associations opposed to it? Um, who could credibly argue about the list you just laid out? I'm not aware of any opposition, but we've got to put this whole comprehensive uh, package together and on the table. But I suspect there is going to be uh, tremendous broad-based support for this. Well, that's great. Um, is there uh, any deadlines coming up? You mentioned the budget process. Um, so you're expecting this to move through um, in the next few months, presumably? Mm -hmm. That's right, right because um, the federal emergency declaration is actually slated to end on July 24th. So we are certainly pushing at the HHS level for them to continue that emergency declaration. Um, we are very hopeful that that is what will happen. However, it's not clear yet. So we're continuing to push uh, for that because that would leave us in a tremendous bind if uh, the federal declaration were to end. So if that were to extend, that would give us the time to work it out through the budget process. And that is what we're anticipating, because telehealth, uh, there's a, throughout the country, everybody would like the state to continue the emergency declaration and to allow us to continue telehealth. So this is not just a California effort nationally. It is being recognized uh, the value and benefit of telehealth and the need for it to continue. Other than that issue with the declaration, is there other things that the federal government can do to support telehealth? Well, one of the pieces certainly that we've been pushing for is to close the gap in the health center funding because the telehealth piece has been part of, for this COVID period, really a, a stabilization of community health centers during a time of tremendous financial upheaval. And so uh, there's been several pieces to that. The telehealth has been one component of really a mitigation for losing all of our patients. But then the other piece has been the federal support that has come through the CARES Act and has come to California that has uh, been for a, a, a number of initiatives that the clinics are undertaking, like testing, for example, dollars specific to testing, and um, dollars are allowed specifically to be used to support the acquisition of telehealth equipment and the implementation of telehealth services. So we're very pleased to see that as well, that there's a federal support uh, that has come in for the community health center as well to uh, really, they, they're having to transform their practices. They had to become virtual um, literally overnight. So uh, this has been a major transformation within the health centers, and there have been some uh, federal resources to support that, but there's clearly a need for more. So one of the pieces that we're also advocating for at the federal level 
uh, is uh, more dollars targeted to community health centers. And there is a provider relief fund uh, that HHS has been exploring, prioritizing additional allocations, uh, specifically targeting health centers. And it is community health centers with greater than 500 employees. So it's our larger health centers that are uh, particularly financially aggrieved right now. Because um, you may be aware, but the large employers were excluded from the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, the SBA loans, forgivable loans. So our large health centers didn't have access to one of the major forms of relief. And so as a result, the, some of the CARES Act provider relief dollars have not filled the gap for our large health centers. And this is a barrier to the full adoption of the telehealth because we have to be financially stable to really maximize and transform uh, the way we would be optimal for us. So we are continuing to advocate at the federal level for the need for more dollars uh, targeting community health centers and specifically our larger health centers. And we think uh, with more federal relief, we will uh, see a better use of the telehealth among our clinics. Is there a role for municipal governments here to support telehealth? What should, what should local governments be doing? Well, I can say that local government has been absolutely key to the pandemic and, uh, and supporting the health centers locally. And let me tell you why. This has been a public health crisis. And public health in our state is really determined at the county level. And so the public health departments, uh, local government have played a really critical role because, for example, all the PPE distribution was happening at the local county level. And so our health centers, who were tremendous need of PPE, have been all along, continue to be, um, but they had to work very closely with their local public health departments on uh, addressing those needs and on the local coordination for testing and contact tracing. So there has been a really critical role uh, in terms of this whole pandemic and how the health system has had to adapt um, and be supplied. And I think that has helped strengthen the local relationships between public health and the community health centers. Uh, but it's also pointed to the need for even greater, stronger relationships and stronger collaboration. And really the need for some more centralization at the state level. Because just like we found throughout this country when the federal government did not take a strong centralized approach, it's just played out so differently in every state. The same thing has happened with public health and the way that this uh, pandemic has played out uh, because it has been controlled at the county level and there's just been some limitations to how far the state level mandates have gone. So that, can, that just creates challenges, um, the lack of uh, uniformity, the lack of accountability to the state level. And so that's what we've learned in terms of the role of local government, the role of uh, local county public health. They have a critical role and we need to be in better coordination. And I think we will be. And so for, particularly for those smaller municipalities who maybe aren't up to speed on these issues, what's the best way for them to tap into your resources on this? Where can they find out more information? You know, I think it's being in tune with the community health centers and knowing where they are and who they are in their region, because that's where they can refer people 
for who need access to health care or, uh, or telehealth services. Um, so I think that's where, you know, local politicians and, and the community health centers tend to have very good, strong relationships with local board of supervisors, local city council. Uh, the community health centers are usually very, uh, they bring the, the, the local elected leaders to the clinics to, to see them. And so the, a lot of time the local electeds are aware of the health centers um, and quite frankly, quite supportive. And then when they come to Sacramento as legislators, I, mean, I think that's why we have such tremendous support in the legislature. It's because those relationships have been developed by health center leaders at the local level when these uh, electeds were, you know, got their starts on city council and on the board of supervisors. So I think the community health centers really do do a good job of being connected um, with the local political infrastructure and uh, keep, make the, sure that they're aware of their services because those same electeds also need to make their constituents aware. So that, that's how I think it, it will occur um, through that education process that we go uh, to locally with our electeds. I'm curious about the issue of costs to the healthcare system because I, I, would, I would imagine that over time telehealth really stands to save the overall healthcare system hundreds of millions if not billions of dollars just in the efficiencies that are that are obvious if you know you need a prescription refill nothing's changed it's a quick phone call with your doctor instead of going in for an exam that takes everybody a few hours out of the day or, or like you said just the just the cost of um, missed appointments which cause inefficiencies in the system H how do you see that cost issue playing out is this am i right to think that this can be a a big a fundamental reform in a lot of ways to the healthcare system well, I'll tell you, community health centers in California have been actually asking for fundamental reform for a number of years. The California Primary Care Association has played a leadership role here in seeking to um, really evolve our payment model. As I mentioned to you, it's a per-visit payment system, you know, tied to the provider. And what we have been looking to for a number of years uh, under the umbrella of payment reform is being paid in more of a capitated model that would get rid of those kinds of restrictions uh, that we would, you know, we can only serve a an individual if they're seen at the health center by a physician. So that is uh, one thing that we have pushed for for a number of years. We actually passed legislation uh, a number of years ago that would have implemented a, pay a very significant payment reform pilot in the state of California. And if we had been paid, if that had gone into effect and we had been paid by capitation, let me tell you, telehealth would have already been far and wide. Um, throughout uh, community health centers. And that was part of the reason why we were asking for the payment model to evolve, because we wanted to have the ability to serve our patients where it makes the most sense for the patient. So telehealth or being able to uh, visit people in you know, homeless encampments or being, uh, being outside the four walls of the clinic, uh, just being able to have group visits um, and just be more innovative and not tied to payment. So we had been seeking payment reform for years, and actually, um, when our last bill passed, it, um, we just were never able to implement it. We did not receive ultimate approval from CMS. So that was about three years ago that uh, we weren't able to get federal approval after years of trying to get that legislation in place. So what I will say is now, with telehealth, what we are seeing, now we are all seeing for community health centers the road to payment reform. So we've begun the process now by transforming uh, our health centers in, to gear up for this becoming more virtual and having that capacity. 
And now we see this as the onboarding to payment reform and really looking at our payment model and how we receive payment in a way that um, rewards us for the value that we are bringing to the health centers versus the volume, which is how it is now. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing that and also just the ways that allow us to be innovative and creative in how we serve our patients, which we feel will be allowed uh, under a revised payment model. And that's what telehealth has shown us. It's shown us the value of innovation, of doing things differently. Um, and it's shown us that we can transform ourselves overnight because that's what the industry has done uh, into virtual care providers. So we're nimble. You know, we can adapt. That's why we're here still. We're survivors. Um, so that's the community health centers. Well, Carmel, I want to thank you for all the great work your organization's doing. I know that the legislature has a lot on its plate, but this strikes me as one of the very most important issues that they could still address this year and certainly hope you can get that comprehensive reform over the finish line, whether it's in the budget process or somewhere else. Um, if people want to get involved with your organization, support your work, where, where can they go? Have them go to www.cpca.org. Great. Well, please, please go ahead and do that. Please share this episode with friends and family uh, to help get the word out about this critical issue that really is going to have a huge impact on not just the future of COVID, but on the future of, of healthcare period in California. So Carmel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Nation State of Play. Our producers are Hannah Miller and Jacqueline Artiaga. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. For more information, click through the link on your podcast app to our homepage.